Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I'm Jordy. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm joined today by Tin Kim to dive a little bit more into the romance genre with our second segment. And today we are going to be discussing the ideal relationships and romances, um, potentially what are some toxic pitfalls that we see, what are our ideal type of relationships and what's attainable and kind of comparing that between a more seasoned romance reader and author to me who is somewhat newer to the genre. Tin Kim, could you give us a little bit of perspective on how you've seen relationships between our main characters in romance novels kind of change and develop through the eras? Ah, so as someone who's been reading romance for a long time, early 80s, for me, the romance genre has definitely progressed with the time. So I started reading a lot of cishet white characters. And that's actually one of the reasons I stopped reading romances because I didn't see myself. So I'm, I'm Asian American and I didn't see myself in any of those novels. You know, I think part of the fun of reading anything, any genre is that you kind of put yourself in the role of the main characters right? and you kind of imagine yourself there and I thought like here are these people who fall in love they find a, a partner who respects them and makes them feel good about themselves you know and I want that in a relationship but I don't see it in the books and that's one of the main reasons I quit for a long time and I didn't come back until the you know like like around 2005, 2006, because I was looking for romances with people of color um, and then eventually found romances with more than just couple, right? There were rebels, um, polyamorous, and and even uh, queer romances were starting to become easier for me to find back then. And that's when I fell back in love with the genre. Yeah, I will say I do appreciate the diversity on so many different levels that like I just started getting into the genre and so there's a lot more for me to read I feel like compared to um what like my mom read like I know my mom has so many Nora Roberts books and I feel like that's kind of where I first started to see that there could potentially be this genre that I just don't know about um but one thing that I've noticed with some of these character dynamics and relationships is that some books will have their um kind of conflict revolve around an issue that could have been resolved through proper communication or something else and it just comes across as a little bit toxic like one of the characters is displaying some sort of behavior that should not be acceptable but by the end of the book they're together and it feels like one of the characters had to kind of compromise on one of their values in order to keep the relationship and that's something that i didn't like and so 
it's hard to kind of figure out what book that's going to be in without actually reading it. And so that's one thing that I always kind of look out for while I'm reading romances, because I think sometimes we romanticize toxic behaviors in some of these books. Oh, for sure. I think, you know, when I got back into romance in the early 2000s, I, um, there was a billionaire romance, like millionaire, billionaire romances are really big. So these are cishet romances. Um, the, the guy, we call them alpha holes, right? So they're alpha guys who are assholes, except when they're with their, the one, right? They, they like took care of them. And, and I think that for, you know, I think there's also that fine line between fantasy and what you want in a in an actual real life relationship. And I think a lot of people like the fantasy of a rich, powerful man taking care of them. Not to generalize, but like, you know, I think I could see my at that see myself thinking, you know, busy mom, married, like trying to manage twenty thousand things. Like if a rich guy swooped in and care of my every needs I'm like yeah that's an amazing fantasy and I think that's why that genre is still so popular um you know like for me now like that's not a genre that I prefer to read and that's something that I say in my my community like we don't yuck other people's yum because there is that fantasy versus real life and I think people will read those what we might what would be considered toxic in real life um just something fun um, on paper yeah, I think while I'm reading, there's a difference for me in suspending belief. Like you're saying, like, oh, of course, I'd want someone to come in and take care of me completely and provide and do all of those things. And like dark romances, like there's that part of you that has to like suspend reality almost. And like, that's totally fine. I think what I'm getting into is like one book in particular, the conflict was um it was a cis hetero relationship and the woman found something out and she went to confront the man about it. And then he just completely ghosts her for two weeks, doesn't say anything, leaves her out in the dust. And then he all of a sudden comes back and he's like, no, I was taking care of this and I was doing this and I was only ever thinking of you. And it's like, that's not how you kind of go about doing those sorts of things. So do you think that when you read something like that you and you say, well, now this is a this is a, a boundary for me when I meet someone. If they do something like this, then that's like a hard or do you, you know, how do you take that and bring it into real life? While I read romances, whether it's, you know, one that I recently loved with a vampire roommate or um, something that could be completely real life. And like I could meet somebody at a coffee shop or something. I put myself in the character's shoes and I'm like, okay, like how would I interpret this? How would I go about, you know, trying to solve this issue? And there's such a disconnect for me when one of the characters doesn't respect a boundary or they handle something in such a poor way that's then not resolved in a way that I feel like should be. And so while I'm still happy at the end of the day that they got together, I'm kind of like, oh, like if I was this girl's friend or this guy's friend, I would kind of be telling them like, hey, look out for this. Make sure it doesn't happen again. This is what I love about romances. These are fictional characters, but yet we get so emotionally invested. We're like, girl, find someone else, right? Like throw the whole man out. Or we're like, yeah, you guys have to get together. You're meant to be. And I think that 
that's such a um, great thing about this genre, whether it's a relationship that we disagree with, you know, like I've ha- I've talked to readers like, I don't think they should have ever gotten together. Like she should have just done this. And, and um, the fact that we can get so upset <laughs> because the characters don't do what we want. I think that's such a, a testimony to the genre itself. Do you think that the romance genre has set unrealistic expectations for partnerships? I think a lot of romances show the beginning of the relationship. And while that is a hard, is a hard part, I think the hardest is like can, is can keeping that relationship going, right? I've been, I've been married to my partner for well, over 20 years and we don't hear about those parts. So, you know, they really idealize that, that, that like newness, the excitement of being somewhat, being with someone for the first time, that's not where the, the hard work stops. And I think that, you know, romances do kind of give like, oh, they're together now. And especially if you read series because the, some couples from the previous books will make cameos. And and I'm guilty of doing this when I write, because that's just something that's expected in the, in the genre. Um, and, while certainly there are romances that deal with marriage and trouble um, and things like that, they're not not as common. I, I think for me, while I'm going through reading these books, I'll think to myself, you know, like, oh, it would be so amazing if I could find somebody who had, you know, this person's kind of qualities and characteristics and what we call book boyfriends. Um, and so I've found myself kind of getting a little down in the dumps while I've been reading some of these romances because I'm like, you know, I just don't see this in real life. And I think for me, that's like part of the reason why I'm kind of like in a romance slump right now is because of that. And like while I'm reading, I'm like, oh, like it would be so great if guys were like this. And then I remember that, you know, women are actually writing these men and it like puts me into a spiral sometimes because I'm like, you know, like is somebody gonna be like that out there and it's like of course they're like I'm, I'm a straight woman and it's like of course there are like great guys out there but it's just like so hard to find and so sometimes for me I feel like maybe my romance reading is giving me unrealistic expectations yeah but I also think that it's good to have standards obviously I don't um I I don't date anymore but I hear stories from my friends and there's some shitty people out there so I think having high standards is good but I also think that romance can make people feel like they have to have a partner to um, have a fulfilling life. And that's not always the case for everyone. I will say romance books have helped me kind of realize maybe some expectations that I didn't have before that I do now. No matter how I'm feeling in my personal life, whenever I do read romances, there is sort of that feeling of happiness that happens because I do love seeing people end up together and being happy. And in this fictional world where like things do go right. Yeah. And and as personally, when I read romances, I love ones where the characters have um, really close friend groups. And those are, while the romance is important to me when I'm reading them, I just love like, here's this person who has a tight-knit friend group they feel you know they're they're more or less like happy with their lives um, without a partner it's just like when they run into this person this person just makes their lives like bigger 
and 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 more exciting. So those are the kind of romances I'm drawn to, and not necessarily like a character who's like I have been trying to find you know my life partner for ever, and I'm just so tired of looking. Like for me, like those are not the romances I enjoy reading because I want um, a person with agency and independence who is living their life and they just don't know that there's this other person that's going to make their lives more colorful right so that's um and that's the beauty of reading romance like there's so many different types of relationships and complications that you know if you read the reviews or ask friends for recommendations you can find those that just really hits those buttons for you yeah, I completely agree. And one thing not completely related to the relationship dynamic, but something I really love and appreciate is when authors are describing their characters and kind of giving them their background stories. They really dive into like maybe the little quirks and stuff that make each person unique. And I love seeing that so many different ways in so many different stories. And I think that romance is now versus the ones I read. Uh, my first ones I read, the relationships are way uh, healthier. <laughs> you know, back then, um, for me, like I would read all these Harlequins or I read a lot of like uh, historical romances and like the guy always knew what the woman wanted, right? Or or he knew what she wanted, but she didn't know it yet. And, and if you look at it now, I'm like, that's kind of toxic because you're not telling each other your needs or you're just assuming that your partner wants something. So you do it. And then, oh, voila, you're right. Kind of thing. Um, and I call it like the Cinderella syndrome, right? Someone's going to sweep up, sweep you off your feet. They'll know everything you need without you telling them, which is not true in a relationship. And I, I felt that way when I first started dating. I'm like, why don't, why can't they read my mind? Like, this is what a woman wants. Um, and then eventually I realized, hey, I have to talk to people. And it's not like these romance novels where they just automatically know. And I think that the more like romance has kind of, we definitely moved towards a guy not assuming and just doing. Because me as a 40 something year old woman, like I would not want a guy to like order my food because he thinks he knows what I want, you know, things like that. But like, I think 20 something, 18 year old me would be like, oh, how romantic. Um, so I think that that has definitely gotten better. Yeah, I will say since reading romance books, I have felt more empowered actually to kind of verbalize what I want or what my expectations are or my needs and desires. And it's kind of made something that I thought was kind of a taboo into a kind of normal everyday type of practice. I think that's awesome because, you know, as a society, like we, uh, we teach little girls and, and women and femme presenting people that we have to please everybody and we are not allowed to share our needs and desires if it conflicts with whoever is you know quote unquote in charge and and it sounds easy on paper to say well, why can't you just tell someone what you want but we have all this social pressure and and we've been taught right that this is not necessarily acceptable that just ask like telling somebody what we need is um not important. So it is, it does make it hard to overcome. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said, older romance novels where the male kind of just assumed what the woman would want or how it should be or what was happening versus what I read today where it it feels like an equal partnership. And then um, a lot of the characters that I read about, you know, will vocalize, it could be on any sort of topic for anything within the relationship. And I kind of used romance books as relationship roadmaps <laughs> to kind of like figure out like, oh, like how should I, you know, bring this topic up or how should I verbalize that I want this or things of that nature. And it's it's been really fun. So another thing that I appreciate about romance books and books just in general is you can gain different perspectives on things that are outside of your life. And so how do you think romance novels have expanded your horizons on different types of relationships? Well, for me, growing up in the South, I definitely, you know, we were raised on the um, binary and I didn't realize like there's a whole spectrum, right? When it comes to gender um, identity and orientation. So reading romances that depict queer relationships were super helpful for me because I could see the dynamics, right? Because I think the dynamics are in relationships are, are similar, no matter, you know, your, your gender orientation, you know, your sexual orientation or your gender, there's similarities and that makes us able to put ourselves in their place when telling the story. Um, but I love reading romances. It doesn't matter to me what the relationship is. I But I do enjoy reading sapphic romances. Um, my friend Heather Novak writes, I would call like rom-com paranormal series. Blood Thinners is a sapphic romance that's just funny. Like so delightful. I learned a lot about polyamorous relationships reading romances. Um, so things that I would not want to, might not be interested or inclined to do in real life. I want to read about them because it's teaching me about other experiences that are not my own. That's why I prioritize reading romances written by BIPOC writers and queer writers. I agree. I, I grew up in a similar sort of situation where I I was definitely in a bubble. And I feel like now that I can kind of go out and make my own decisions and do whatever I want, reading about different types of experiences has helped me understand a situation or perspective or relationship different than what I'm used to. And I really appreciate the Witches of Thistle Grove series because there's so many different types of relationships that, you know, I don't experience but it's given me a better understanding of not necessarily the ins and outs but just like what it might be like and i really enjoy just reading from different perspectives to kind of gain that understanding i have read rowan parish writes a very emotional uh male male romances and her books always make me cry yeah. and they're so good she also covers things that um about mental health and you know neurodiverse characters, which um, I think the intersectionality is always welcome. 
Talia Hibbert also does a really good job. Like I love all of her books when talking about, you know, experiencing different types of illnesses or chronic pain and different types of relationships. And those books are amazing. And I will always recommend Adriana Herrera because uh, she's a queer writer. So she writes so many different pairings in her, her romance novels. There's um, she has a Christmas one called mangoes and mistletoe and it's, the Santa's daughter having a good old time <laughs> with her partner. And that's a really fun um, sapphic romance with a lot of spice. Yes, we do enjoy some good spice, which is what we'll be talking about in our next and last segment. So if you all are looking for some good recs, we've listed some here. And we'd also be interested in hearing what you all think are some good recommendations that we can put on our TBRs. Please do, because my TBR is uh, not long enough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll always make room for some more romances. For sure. All right. Happy readings, everybody. Become a better feminist and better teacher of the next generation of men with How to Raise a Feminist Son by Sonora Ja, author of the recent acclaimed novel, The Laughter. Beautifully written and deeply personal, this tour de force memoir follows the struggles and triumphs of a single immigrant mother of color trying to instill feminist values in her American son. From teaching consent to counteracting problematic messages from the media, well-meaning family, and our culture at large, Ja offers an empowering, imperfect feminism brimming with honest insight and actionable advice. Jaw draws on her work as a professor of journalism specializing in social justice movements and social media, conversations had with experts, psychologists, and fellow parents, and powerful stories from her own life to show us all how to raise feminist sons in this electrifying memoir. Says Ijoma Oluo, this book is a true love letter, not only to Jaw's own son, but also to all of our sons and to the parents, especially mothers who raised them. Says Rebecca Solnit, a beautiful hybrid of memoir, manifesto, instruction manual, and rumination on the power of story and the possibility of family. Further praised by Mira Jacob, Soraya Shamali, and more, and featured in Ms. Magazine, NPR, The Rumpus, Booklist, and Publishers Weekly, How to Raise a Feminist Son is a must-read for anyone trying to raise boys. How to Raise a Feminist Son, a memoir and manifesto by Sonora Ja is available wherever books are sold or online at penguinrandomhouse.com. In this podcast segment, there will be mentions of sexual assault and abuse. Please take care of yourself as you best see fit and check the show notes for services that may help you. Well, hello, my name is Caroline M. Watson and I use she, her pronouns. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordi. I also use she, her pronouns. And I'm Marikita Guerrera. <clears throat> Excuse me. I also use she, her pronouns. And I'm Nox Quiros and I also use she, her pronouns. Well, I'm happy to have everybody here chatting today. We're going to be talking a little bit about just reading as a survivor of sexual assault, of trauma, and just how we take care of ourselves, just move through the world and read maybe aren't super easy to handle all the time for anybody, but especially people who might be triggered by content that they're reading. Just recently, I picked up Bear Town by Frederick Bachman for the fourth time and was trying to fight my way through reading it and got to a point in the book where uh, a sexual assault happens, which is really kind of the main 
incident of the book and then the subsequent books in the series. And I just couldn't do it. <laughs> Shut it down. Uh, couldn't go forward. Every time I re-picked it up, I thought, okay, this time I can get get through the book. I'm healed. I'm good. I'm ready. And then you get to a certain point and you just can't, can't make it happen. And I, yeah, I'm just wondering if you all have experienced that and just how you kind of carry forward with taking care of yourself when you're reading. I know there are some books that I just uh, won't pick up at all. And I feel okay about that. You know, I feel like there are a number of wonderful things to read and I don't need to read something just because there is a lot of hype around it. Like um, Swamplandia by Karen Russell was uh, one of the first books that I had heard about, but didn't read and had heard about a graphic scene in it. And I felt like I don't need to be a part of that. And then the uh, girl with the dragon tattoo series, I just, I don't, I don't need it in my life. And so my method for dealing with this is usually like, if I hear about, hear about it ahead of time, I try to gauge whether or not I can read it and not be put into a spiral. I mean, triggers are going to happen and like, part of being a survivor of assault and um, of abuse is knowing how to manage your triggers, but it's also knowing when you don't need to confront them. I will say that, you know, everyone's healing journey is so different. And I remember before I got into therapy and got the help that I needed, I would have these terrible nightmares and a lot of flashbacks. And I didn't realize that the two were connected, that the trauma that I experienced was causing me to have like these terrible nightmares and paranoia and stuff like that. So I thought it was, you know, the TV shows I was watching, the books that I was reading, and a lot of it had to do with murder type stuff. So I was like, as long as I don't watch, you know, any true crime, murder mysteries, reading of that, I'll be fine. And then when I realized, oh, like I need to work through this and it's not the fact that I was reading this type of book or whatever that was causing it, I was really able to get through that. And for some reason, I don't know why it is the way for me. I feel like when I read certain things in books, I feel very validated and seen like I'm not the only one who felt that exact way or experienced that thing but for some reason when I watch shows or movies <clears throat> and they have that it's totally different for me um my my trauma's not uh tied to assault um but I definitely have had books I've started my biggest reason for having trigger warnings is because I didn't know what they were. And then I read a book where I was in what I thought was at the time the height of like my depression where I really should have had that content warning. And the result was really dangerous for me. And so I've definitely since then have had books where I I definitely checked the trigger warnings beforehand. But if it slips under the cracks or something like that, I've definitely had times where I've had to put books down. I had to put down um, Homegoing by Yagi Yasi, um, which is an amazing book. 
my mom gave it to me for uh, for the holidays. I started reading it. My I did not know my mom, but my mom didn't tell me anything about it though. And so I started and I just like five pages in go, and we're going to put that down for another day when I am ready for this book. And eventually I was able to come back to it and, you know, enjoy the story. But I've definitely had times where I've had to put the books down because I'm just not in the headspace where this is going to be good for me. And I need, I learned I have to prioritize that. Speaking of the content warnings and the trigger warnings, I know there are a lot of really good platforms now that will share those ahead of time with you, or, you know, you're in a community of avid readers and people will share things with you. And I know for me, that's kind of helpful, but like we're all saying, our, our own experiences are so different and where we're at in our healing journeys, like Jordy said, is also different. And so it's almost, for me, it's like, it doesn't even always matter if that information's there, because even on a, any given day, I might handle it differently. I think about um, Know My Name by Chanel Miller, which is a memoir written about a very public sexual assault case. So obviously, I know that's going to be talked about in the book. And anybody can tell me, oh, it's not in detail. Oh, she, you know, they just read parts of the court transcript. Knowing that doesn't necessarily help me. There are a lot of really great books, you know, like I said, and like, if you feel like that might not be the book for you, that's okay. You know, I, um, I think that the way that it was handled was beautifully done, um, because it was written by the person who experienced it. Um, but even so I didn't, I wasn't able to finish it. I thought it was really lovely. Um, Mm -hmm. but the place I was in my life when I picked it up, um, was after I'd experienced a significant loss and I couldn't, you know, she does spend a lot of time talking about the repercussions of what happened to her and how that affected her emotionally and physically. And I felt my, like mirror neurons turning on and I just couldn't be there with it. And I read a lot of it. I, you know, um, I read it as when it was a book for the feminist book club and participated in the conversation, but I couldn't finish it. I just couldn't get to the end of it. And that's okay. Like sometimes just, you can just read a little bit and say, uh, all right, I got what I needed. I think I'm just now kind of giving myself permission in general with books to quit them um, with any book. So I think I still need to (laughs) remind myself that that's okay and especially okay when it might harm me in my my sweet mushy brain. Um, (laughs) And I don't need that, right? Yeah, I think for me, I go through these high periods where I'm feeling great. And then sometimes I kind of slip back down. And um, I just tend to think about like, what's happened. And I tend to not look at the trigger warnings when reading a book. Like sometimes like I'll be reading and I could take everything completely fine and nothing bothers me. And then it could be something completely random. Like, 
um, I was reading a poetry book called The Lists of Shit That Made Me a Feminist. And there was just one line in there that struck something in me. And I just broke down crying and couldn't take it. So for me, it's definitely a day-by-day -day type of thing with what I can handle and what I can't handle. And there is something liberating about any type of book when you're not enjoying it for whatever reason, just putting it down and moving on to something else because there are so many books out there that are awesome. And it's not school. You don't have to finish it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that. oh man, that takes me back to some days, but yeah, no, no school, no school work here, no homework. I actually, in undergraduate, had to tell a professor that I couldn't finish. Um, it wasn't like the book we were reading for class, but it was an article that was supposed to help us, like we we're supposed to analyze it. And I had established a uh, like, relationship with this professor. You know, he I knew he had my back. And so I went to him in office hours and I was like, hey, I don't want to, you know, talk about it. But I, I not in the headspace right now to finish this this article i will do any other article you assign me that does not will deal with this topic and i mean not every professor obviously is going to be like that that is an option that there's anybody out there who's still in school yeah that's great that you advocated for yourself and it was received because yeah that that's not necessarily always received the way it should be yeah i also think that advocating for yourself in those situations can be very difficult um and honestly kind of terrifying so the fact that you were able to do that is awesome the teacher actually started including trigger warnings into his curriculum uh, because of a conversation myself and other students had had it's definitely a thing where i am someone who's slowly learning to advocate for themselves because it's terrifying <laughs> It's very anxiety inducing and it is absolutely ter terrifying. Um, so I'm slowly learning to do that more, but it was definitely um, because I knew him and I knew it, I would, even if he couldn't like give me something else, he would at least not laugh in my face, which was what I was terrified he was going to do. But um, the, you're talking about the popular books part. Um, there's a book I've been wanting to read for literal years, and it's um, The Astonishing Color of After by Emily X.R. Pan. Every time I go pick up that book, I need to stop trying to go pick up that book at this point. I'm not kidding, because every time I go to pick up that book, I end up in a head, like, I haven't even opened the book yet. There's something in my life that happens. I end up in a headspace where I know that, that I, it's not time to read that book yet. And I am both like, oh, I don't need to read it right now. I'll read it eventually. And the other times, like, maybe it's because you keep trying to pick up this book. <laughs> as many times as I can tell myself, not necessary um, to read this. I think it's still easy, especially if you talk with a lot of readers or are in any kind of book club and you see people talking about something. I think it's just human nature to kind of think, oh, wow. I want to talk about it. I want to read it. Especially if you're um, enthusiastic about it or like the author of the topic. Yeah, it can be hard. Absolutely. So if there are times where you're in school and you do have to read something or you think, I can do this, I want to read this, are there ways that y'all kind of guard yourself or protect yourself while reading things that are difficult or may hurt you in any way? 
I um I recently read a book and I interviewed the author um of this uh book um and it didn't deal with any kind of assault um but it dealt with um infant loss mm-hmm. and um it was really triggering for me. If I didn't have to interview the author, and I told the author this too, I was like, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know that I would have been able to finish it. Um, I got to the end because I knew there was going to be a happy ending and there was, and it was nice, but I spent a lot of time talking to my therapist about it afterwards and like really talking about the things that I got out of it and how it helped enrich my like therapeutic process as well. You know, like, oh, I saw myself feeling these things and then I got a chance to really spend some time and think about like how that felt in my body and like what I needed to do to care for myself. And so I think sometimes if you're in a situation where you really can't get away from the thing that you're reading or the thing you're experiencing, being able to take that into a therapeutic environment and trying to process it there can be invaluable and necessary. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think if you're reading something or watching something, being able to identify what you're feeling and why you're feeling it, um, and then being able to recognize, like, is this something that I can kind of sit with for a second? Am I able to work through this? Making sure, you know, you're in a place where you feel safe. Um, I know for me, whenever I read this stuff, like at, at this point, I feel pretty comfortable reading anything, but if it's something <clears throat> pretty heavy that I'm watching, I make sure to watch with my sister or someone really close to me that I feel comfortable with. Um, <clears throat> also being able to talk through things with friends or family members, whoever you um, feel good talking to, I think that helps a lot. I know that if I'm reading something that has the potential to upset me. I like to listen on audio, which might feel counterintuitive, but I listen to it while walking um, or doing an activity. So I'm not left alone in my apartment with my thoughts. But if I am reading a physical book, I like to annotate in it. It's one of the times I annotate the most is um, something that might uh, upset me or trigger me because I can feel like I can like yell at the book. Uh, (laughs) I can write in it, have a conversation with it, yell at a character, yell at a person. um, And that, that helps me a lot for sure. I actually opposite. I listen, read the ebook instead of the audio book in those cases, because for me, I'm very much about when I read it, it doesn't, I don't hear it in my own voice is the way I'm trying to explain it. Like I was surprised when people said they actually see pictures in their heads. Um, but if I hear something, it's um, different for me. And I guess that's another way to show how everyone processes um, and deals with their um, trauma differently. My main thing is working on getting a great therapist and things like that, and definitely going to take everything that has been said about, you know, having that space and use, utilizing it. Um, in the meanwhile, I my main thing is making sure I'm not alone when I'm reading these things. Um, I'm very lucky to have a partner who's very enthusiastic about knowing everything that I'm reading and will listen to me for two hours when I talk about it. And so there are certain books 
that I don't read until I'm with them, it's just there's a chance that I'm going to need that support system if those things come up. I'm also lucky to have friends who know most of my triggers. You learn new ones every day, unfortunately. I mean, that wholeheartedly. I just found out about one like a few days ago. I was like, that, that's a new one for me. It's also okay because I'm learning more about myself and what I need. And so I'm really lucky that those friends will either buddy read something with me so that I'm not processing it alone. Or if they know it's in a book that I'm planning on reading, will let me know. So the way I support myself is finding supporting people in my life and my cat, who is genuinely very supportive. To be able to have all of that help and all of that support behind you while just moving through life in general and dealing with trauma is, is incredible. Well, I really appreciate the chance to talk with y'all about this today. And hopefully if anybody listening is reading something that's upsetting them right now, this gave you the permission to quit it or carry on in a way that, that makes you feel safe. And if you've experienced sexual assault or abuse of any kind, you can seek support information and advice from the RAIN National Sexual Assault Hotline. You can reach RAIN online or by phone 24-7. And information about RAIN and links to their services, as well as other mental health services, will be linked in our show notes. Oh, thanks so much for hosting this discussion. This was really wonderful. Um, again, I'm Mariquita Guerrera. If you are looking for me online, you can find me on Instagram at O underscore Murray. Yes, thank you for having this conversation. I just think there's something about knowing that you're not alone in these types of feelings or experiences, and that's comforting. Um, and I always like to tell people, you know, if they're unsure whether they're being abused or not, abuse isn't just physical, it's psychological and emotional. Um, so whatever you're experiencing or feeling like it's valid. Um, and yeah, thank you for having us on. Everyone else said it, but thank, thank you. Really, thank you for having this space and hosting this discussion and going off of what was said. Yeah, trust your gut when it comes to things. Sometimes you know, people say it's not, but you trust yourself, you know, you and what you need the most. Um, and you can find me on social media at Knox underscore reads. And I'm Caroline M. Watson. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your day. Check those show notes for information about things we talked about today and about each of the people on this segment. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature.